What's up, guys? Rich UX here from richandniche.com. Another podcast episode today uh, with a student from Rich and Niche, but much more than a student. Today, I'm going to be talking with Patrick Donabedian, who is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu uh, instructor, competitor. He's focused on creating digital assets and products in the Brazilian jiu-jitsu space. He's a YouTuber. He's creating content. So we have a lot to discuss uh, relevant to the full stack marketing funnels, the content creation world. He's going to be asking me questions that are related to him, uh, but I'm sure he's brought us some other, you know, philosophical topics to try and get into. We'll probably go about 45 minutes. Welcome, Patrick. How you doing, my man? I'm good, Rich. Thank you for that uh, introduction. It's a pleasure oh. to be here. I particularly want to focus on the uh, uh, lead magnets at the top of a funnel. Um, you have a specific sort of checklist or audit for how a lead magnet should be. What Could, could you give a brief overview of maybe those seven or so uh, just items that you always want to make sure you're, you're checking the box on for lead, lead magnets and your philosophy behind behind it? Right. So if you've never heard of a lead magnet before, it's a marketing tool. It's tactical. And what it does is it will increase the number of inbound leads or email addresses, essentially. Could be phone numbers, but typically email. And what we've realized when we you, you know, market digitally on the internet, it's it's really nice to give people something. It's supposed to be this irresistible value exchange where it's light and people can get started. And, you know, even though no money changes hands, it is a transaction and it's the first transaction you will have with a prospect. And think of the name lead magnet. It's just so wonderful what this tool does. It's designed to attract people, magnetize them and a certain person, right? We want to make our lead magnet specific you know, let's say I had a lead magnet about fishing, you know, how to set up a fishing rod. Well, I'm certainly not going to read that if I'm not interested in fishing. So it's used to identify who might be interested. And you mentioned the word top of the funnel. Um, it's absolutely a higher up funnel portion. It's free. It typically comes on the back end of a YouTube video or a Facebook ad or a blog post. You know, anytime you're reading or watching something and someone says, hey, go grab this for a free email, that is a lead magnet. And um, you were asking about what specific things I look for. Now, when you heard me say earlier, it's free, but it's a transaction. It's important to understand that if someone's going to have a transaction with you, you want it to be a positive one. You want it to be value driven. So value is the first thing you absolutely need to have and not just actual value. It, it's, it, it's, it's not only useful, whatever you give them, and it could be a checklist. It could be a video. It could be a multiple videos. It could be um, a seven day course that you send via email. It could be um, a webinar. And there's a lot of different versions of lead magnets, but essentially they're free. They need to have value but they also want to have perceived value, you know, not just actual value, because to get people to do stuff these days, to get them to take action, they have to see something they perceive as valuable. So value always starts the transaction and it's important. Now, we really want this thing to be specific. You can't win with a vague lead magnet. You have to talk about specific solutions to specific markets. That's just simply what works digital marketing. So keep it specific. And following that, you know, don't make it, you know, a big, uh, huge, all-encompassing promise. Like it shouldn't be overwhelming. It should be able to consume rapidly, maybe a day, maybe an hour, maximum a week. I really don't like these things where it's like 28-day course. Like no one wants to wait 28 days to do anything. It's very ineffective. So keep it rapidly consumable. What else is it? Um, it speaks to their journey. You know, typically we use lead magnets when we know people are going somewhere and they're trying to solve something, they're trying to achieve something. Speak to that. Let them know that this helps them on that specific journey. That will really help. And ultimately, you know, I'd end it by saying that when they finish this thing, they should think better of you. You want to do so well with this that they're like, man, I'm really glad I got that for free. And I can't believe they made that for free. Like this person did a real service. That's going to set them up to start buying things from you. 
And now, you know, you've done this very low impact automated thing. They gave their email, they read the lead magnet or watched it. They're ready to potentially do business all automatically. Uh, That's so beautiful. And I think that, you know, we can really track a lot around how many people opt in with their email. We can track a lot about how many people hit the thank you page. We can track people who go on to upsells. It's a great mid-range marketing funnel component to sort of soften the impact from paid advertising into offers. If we just hit them with hardcore offers all day, they're going to get tired of it. So giving away something for free, bringing value up front, it's just a great strategy. And uh, I definitely use it with every single client and aspect of my business. So that's the big picture of lead magnets. I'm sure we could talk more specifically about certain kinds but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I really like how you highlighted perceived value because there's what often happens as a content creator and a funnel creator, someone who's, who's uh, composing a lead magnet, like a PDF, is we as an expert focus so much on value for the customer, but it's like the, it's kind of like the, the vitamins that we think they need. And like, even if they're, you know, too naive to realize it. And you kind of have to play the game of perception where it's like, yeah, but this, this beginner, this amateur is like not going to get it. And you have to, you have to kind of speak to where they're at. And that's where you have to, that that's why I I think highlighting perceived value versus like what you think is the hardcore value is important to point out. Yes. And those same experts, they also need to realize it, does matter how the page looks. We need professional graphics. We can't just space the text however we want because what happens is you're signaling to your customer you don't care enough to make it look polished. Spending even a small amount with a small virtual assistant who's kind of known to make pages nicer can go so far. And what I'm known for, and and not really known for, but one thing that I really prioritized earlier on than many people was the idea of mock-ups and using these pictures where they go inside like an iPhone or a laptop. Because these are often digital products doesn't mean they have to be flat. You know, we want to make them feel like they're actually tangibly getting something. So you give them that preview in their own device. It's a really nice way to also increase perceived value. I think you're kind of getting at almost like the promise, like what's the, what's the candy that's interesting them. That's very important too. Uh, perceived value though, could simply be professional looking page design. Ooh, this person is a pro. Excellent. I'd love to download this, right? Just think of the difference. Yeah. I, and, I, and I know you've experienced the power of that already. Yeah. Yeah. I love, there's something about seeing the iPhone or the tablet or the laptop that's just, it's so clean and like three-dimensional. Exactly. Um, and, I, and that's something I definitely need to continue adding to my, to, you know, the free content uh, yeah. that I put out. Um, yeah, I pay 14 or $15 a month for a tool called placeit.net. It's really lovely because let's say you want to make a mock-up for your iPhone. You go into Canva, you know, or you can even do a screenshot from your phone. And I've been doing more of that recently too, where I go into my products and I just take screenshots. That's just, you upload it into place it. And what it does is it shows you the mock-up in like dozens of phones all at once. And you can pick the ones that look the best. So you don't have to keep trying them one by one. I used to make mock-ups by hand with Photoshop a year ago. And it was the most painful thing, but I knew I was separating myself by doing it. People saw that, they may build a tool around it. That just brings up like how much you have to be evolving to succeed because what was once hard and value-driven of like a designer's hand it's actually automated now with one click for $14 a month. Like that's crazy. Don't you think? It really is. Yeah. I've been, I've been relying so much on s- screenshots and screen recording. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, I'm curious because it, because for me, it's just convenient, but I'm curious as a filmmaker um, and, and graphic designer, does that reach a point of when you're just using your native app on your, on your computer or your phone to screenshot or screen record, does that reach a point of like limit diminishing returns. Like you can't get the full quality in an edit. Not really, because when you think about it, 
they're probably actually looking at that mock-up inside of a device. So the resolution is smaller than the device because it's a picture inside the device. So the screenshot itself is the same resolution as the device. Do you follow me there? I do, yeah. So it wouldn't necessarily degrade it. And, you know, why not show the authentic screenshot of like, like for me, I'm using Kartra. So I went into the members portal. I logged in. I can see like my index. I just screenshotted it. It's the real index. It might not look the best, but it's real. I went into my membership software and looked for a great sort of section where it shows something cool on the page. Just screenshot it. Very real. That's your real experience. I definitely don't think that's diminishing returns. I think that's authenticity in your marketing transparency. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've spent we spent a little bit of time here talking about something, you know, kind of nitty gritty. But I think there's a lot of people that get stuck on these types of things. So it's uh, helpful to know. It's just like it's just a you know a couple of clicks away on your on your device. Um, yes, and it's and because it's free, it doesn't take this like we're talking lead magnets now. It doesn't take this huge mental workup of actually selling because it's free, and people forget that. You just need like three bullets. What is this about? And what do I get from it? And it's like, if it's free and it's targeted, it just works every single time because it's free. What do you have to lose? As long as you haven't like, you know, packaged something that's like 20 years old and completely irrelevant. If you're an industry leader, there's gotta be something you can share that's up to date and new novel. And that will provoke that curiosity. Once you've collected the email and they've enjoyed this lead magnet, you've done the job. It's time to move on to the next part of the customer journey and tell them some bigger offers. And now you know they're warm. They're interested. Let's find out if they're ready to open their wallet. Yeah. And for, for you as a customer, as far as uh, opening up your wallet, what's the most, what's your favorite, or the most memorable or the most recent lead mag, free thing even? even maybe not even on the internet, free thing that you've gotten that just made you like a customer for life? Um, it's when people have done some nice thinking for a long time and really aggregated like a good amount of ideas. Like something I could give an example is like 50 ideas for your Instagram stories. Like I like those kind of things because I can quickly come across like, oh, I like that idea. I'll take that. One I got not too about a year ago that I still use today and like I actually give to other people. That's when you know you've done a good job is when other people share it for you. It's the power words list from, I can't remember what copy website it was, but basically it's 700 power words to use in your copywriting. And it like, depending on the emotion, it has the best words. I think I might've shown it to you at some point. I love that. And I still refer to that because I can't keep all that in my head. And I don't also want to spend the time to go retyping them all out. So I'll just keep the PDF handy. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's, I think. And, it, and that one really hits all the buckets. It's specific. It's easy to digest. You rapidly consume. It's valuable. Did it shift the relationship? Yeah, a little bit. Maybe a little bit, definitely. So you can see it doesn't have to be the biggest thing either, but it's how can you go the extra mile that no one else has done before? That's a great way to look at it. And another thing I teach that I love to share, imagine you're doing and you're creating something for your best friend and go to the level that you would support them. If they wanted to know like how to do X, Y, Z from you and they thought you were the expert and you thought about your best friend and you truly wanted them to get the best results, like whatever you create for them, it's probably the right idea. Maybe it's a checklist, maybe it's a template, maybe it's a set of notes, that's a PDF. Maybe it's two videos with a screen share you should think like, I want to give my best friend the best experience here. Yeah. Yeah. That personalizes it more. Exactly. And it's a depth oh. thing as well. It's like, you don't just write it off. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, one sort of off ramp I wanted to take this lead my conversation to was uh, how it can be applied to childhood education because you you have a, uh, six month old now is that five months? Yeah, yeah, five months. And so you're think you're probably thinking a lot about uh, his future education and mm -hmm. possibly homeschool. Um, and so you're gonna have to do a lot of the designing of that education. And one of the you know kids don't have to consider um, you know what they're eventually gonna pay for mm -hmm. a product or for their education. They don't have to think about you know am I gonna give up my email. They just, all they have to do is like see a bright 
you know, a shiny object that right. they're interested in. And then just like, you know, their, their curiosity is automatically turned on. Mm-hmm. And so that first, a lead magnet to me is sort of like a first impression, uh, even though as far as in the digital marketing world, you, you just saw, probably saw a video, but it's like that first spark where you get like a quick win. Mm-hmm. And I was curious, if you have any thoughts of how you'd, you might apply that to like teaching your son how to read or how to, you know, do math of any kind. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't know if it would, I would necessarily put them in those big categories of math and reading. I'd say it would be better served. Like, let's say, you know, my son is nine and I've decided, okay, we need to get into some social sciences or even some hard sciences, or maybe we want to get into English language using bite-sized, exciting pieces of information that's geared towards child's appetite and maybe giving them a choice of headlines. It's like, would you like to learn the five ways to, you know, persuade people with words or would you like to learn the most important three words you'll ever need to know, you know? And it's like, you could kind of incentivize them to choose their own path. So that's one thing I see. Mm. Um it's not easy. And, and my philosophy of parenting, it's not easy to apply that I can see quite yet. Um, because in a lead magnet, one of the big jobs you're trying to do is, is get rid of people as much as you are trying to get people. Whereas that doesn't really apply to the child. Um, you know, I think that um, my philosophy of parenting, as I was going to say, is very driven by the interests of the child. So whatever the child's interested in, whether that's trains or drawing or singing or shooting photographs, you put the education behind that interest. You you don't need to force, you know, someone who likes trucks to count animals and you don't need to force someone who likes, you know, insects to count trains. I mean, why not stay in line with what you observe is the natural enjoyment of that child? I mean, I'm talking of a homeschooling methodology and that's, that's what we should be discussing. We don't need to really discuss the classical education methods. We know how those are structured. The only thing that I see is a big difference is like, we need to choose what's right for us given who we are and where we see life. And people who live in Los Angeles are not the same people who live in Mississippi and not the people in Alaska. So, I mean, why are the curriculum so similar? Why are the structures so similar? So, you know, uh, we're getting into a much different topic, but I don't necessarily see lead magnets as this parallel thing to teaching because I think a lead magnet is a tactical marketing device more than it is a content piece. It, it's that but that's not what its purpose is. You know, its ultimate purpose is to get the right person in the database. And that's how you grow your business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I suppose I made that association just because I was like, I I have mostly negative memories of like developmental, you know, like grade school and middle school and high school Mm -hmm. um, where you just, you notice when you're not, in playing the same game or the game as well as, as some of the other kids, mm. whether it's with reading or, you know, uh, doing algebra or whatever else. And, and when you kind of like become an adult and become an entrepreneur, possibly you, you start to like find a new, a different game that other people aren't playing and, you know, metaphorical game, obviously. And that's, and for me in digital marketing, that was brought on by, you know, a few different, I remember those moments where like I, I submitted my email for a lead magnet and then like, it like showed me the matrix of this whole new world. Mm. And so, you know, you mentioned how lead magnets ironic or, you know, paradoxically are actually meant to like filter out people that aren't, wouldn't be customers. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what, uh, that's what typical school does. It pretty much weeds out, a lot of kids and selects for, you know, the few, maybe a third of them that are of that learning style or, or are of that interest. Um, mm-hmm. So this interest based, this like the lead magnet is like an entry point um, to capture someone's interest. And I guess it's very individualized. And on basically I've been, I've been investigating, I'm at the beginning of an investigation of like the American education system and how it was heavily influenced by the uh, like Prussian 
education system uh, and brought to America like in the early or in the late 1800s, I believe, and uh, and how that changed the way uh, you know, like there's some there's some there's some thinkers like this this one uh, John Taylor Gatto who I you know just recently come upon who's talked about you know the dumbing down of America. Uh, and, you know, because of the education system and uh, basically catering toward the collective rather than the individual. And, you know, that, and that, that you can see evidence of that just by like the lined rows of, of uh, desks and seats mm-hmm. uh, where it's like very much meant for compliance and obedience rather than interest. And, you know, not so like I said, I'm at the beginning of this investigation. So like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't have any conclusions, but I just, I just saw like a, a connection with the idea of this first, this first big win you get as a, like when you're at the beginning of something mm-hmm. and you feel that confidence and you feel like. Right. I, let me jump in, man. I, I, I see what you're saying and that makes a lot of sense. So what I would say now is just as I was alluding to, the lead magnet should find out who's actually interested in the education that's to follow. Forget about the fee. You want to look at learning. Instead of everyone gets XYZ curriculum, you pick your top three lead magnets, you go complete the assignment, and that triggers the next assignment. Isn't that much better idea? And you, exactly. you allow your interest to define it. And if the system is smart enough, it will reroute you eventually by limiting your options and convincing you to like, listen, you kept choosing the ones about money. Can we just choose a couple more about philosophy? Like, you know, imagine a Tinder swipe situation with your education. What do I want to learn today? Swipe, swipe, swipe. Okay, here, algorithm adjusts. Rich has chosen six of the hard sciences. He needs some more social sciences. So let's just adjust what are his options today thereby providing him a well-rounded experience. I mean, if that's the overarching goal, but at least let's use interest of who will take action on something as an indicator that the system and any resources can support them because we are often putting in resources to educate people on things they will never use or care about again. And that just does not seem like a good idea. Yeah, totally. And the model you just described seems you know, not, just to, just to not overly criticize the current institutions or the past institutions. It's something that's only really enabled by the, you know, the current age of technology and digital marketing. So, um, man, I just kind of want to start talking about the future of education now. I mean, we just opened up some really good ideas. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was kind of my ulterior motive for this, for this, uh, podcast episode. Uh, but you know, I'm like, like I said, I'm at, I'm kind of at the beginning of the investigation of it. So, mm-hmm. um, so, but it's like this, right? I mean, let's kind of look at this part. You pay big bucks now to get a degree, and it takes four years. I see two flaws. Why does it take four years? Why is it big bucks? If you can solve those, you can change the game. And I think I almost gave an idea already. People don't mind being educated and people don't mind sitting their butts down and taking a few notes as long as they're interested to a reasonable amount and they are still in control of some aspect of their outcome. I see the problem is I understand the university wants people to come out well-rounded and they don't want you to skip out. I don't understand everyone having the same, like pretty much same framework ultimately. And you have to take all of this. Like that seems too strict given they're choosing four years. If this was a one-year thing, I could see why they'd be like, no, you're only here for a year. You better take this. We can't guarantee your success otherwise. But to force people into multiple disciplines for four years, meaning whatever you choose as your major, plus that, like in Canada, you have to take a bunch of other stuff now. Is that the case in the US? Yeah, it is. Right. And I don't think that makes sense because to me, that's like, ha ha, you don't get your degree until you take all the dumb shit courses that we also created with the dumb shit professors who've never done anything successful in their life. You know, <laughs> that's a bad idea. No doubt there's some brilliant profs and great opportunities within university and some life changers. 
but it's the fluff that you have to buy an extra 20K of tuition you don't need and wait all this time. I got a grade 11 girl in my DM this morning. It's like, Rich, I want to be a digital marketer. Give me tips. The only tip, stay away from university if you want to be a digital marketer. You cannot get where you want to go there and you're going to fall behind. And it's like, I don't like saying that. There, that shouldn't be the answer. There should be that kids who are not ready for the real world do need more professional backgrounds, do need more intensive research projects, um, but no way they're going to be spending $30,000 in four years in this decade and getting that money back anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. Because at, at a university, she's not even going to have the proper mentors because this the state of universities now, and this isn't absolute, uh, but it is prevalent. It's, you know, it's almost like a, almost like a pyramid scheme where yes. uh, there's not that many professor positions, but every, almost every graduate or everyone's trying to go to graduate school and become a PhD and there's just not enough spots. And these are people without life experience trying to teach life experience right. to exactly. Exploration. And that's even worse in marketing. Oh, really? because it's too hands-on. You need that close touch point with your platforms and your tools, and it's not all theoretical. You know, it's, mm -hmm. we can't always explain why this meme works better than that meme, and it will never be textbookized. I mean, it's too hard, it's too fast. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating subject to me that I think I'm gonna, you know, stay on for the rest of my life, and I do wanna get I want to build the skills. I mean, I want to use the skills I build in, in marketing my Brazilian jiu-jitsu business and courses to go into uh, other disciplines of education, uh, possibly into like English literature or uh, history mm -hmm. and make those interesting again uh, because I think they're necessary for us to study as, as well as entrepreneurship. But I think you have that kind of cornered. So, I'm but what, let's let me ask you some questions. Then, why is it not interesting anymore? Well, part of it is just the technological distraction. So, if you're distracted by right. uh, easy dopamine fixes like news feeds, uh, those are the main those are the main barriers. I think to sitting down to read a book or to do uh, exercises. Well, if you're going to say that, I think it's fair to say that our entire generation of students are at risk. Yeah, they are. They are. So to acknowledge the the first step is to acknowledge the challenge, and then it's to, um, I guess maybe it's that teachers over the past century got lazy or complicit in the exercises or tactics they used to get students to develop their mental faculties to think abstractly because they weren't competing with technology. They weren't competing with news feeds. And now that they are competing for students' attention and they are just stuck in this classroom with no internet, uh, the teaching has to get better. The, the, the argument that comes up for me immediately is like, well, who cares? Because if the student wants what's at the end of the fishing line or the, the carrot on the stick, like they need to perform well. So it doesn't really matter if it's the distraction, right? Do you see where I'm coming at there? Uh, you're saying that it's, it's okay. on the student to perform at the end of the day. So is that really what's blocking the teachers from finding successful students who want to be passionate about those certain areas? Um, I, I just think the teachers aren't meeting students at a, ba like a basic enough level. They're not breaking. I don't know. I, let's see how I can use teaching Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I can have I can have somebody uh, learn like six, try to like synthesize six different moves from closed guard, which is one of the you know main positions in Braz in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, uh, and like try to synthesize them and do them against resistance right away. Or I can have them like drill drill one of those moves, you know. 10 times and then progress to 20 times the next day and then 30 times the next day and not go against resistance so quickly. And, uh, I feel like just with reading a book, it's almost like you're in, you're have, it's, it's almost like a spar you're sparring with words because words can be challenging, especially if you don't you know, know their meaning or the context mm -hmm. and going straight into basically not having enough exercises that are, 
because exercises do get boring. So I'm not going to say that drilling and exercising is, is the, you know, panacea to all this, but, but making exercises compelling is, is the key. And I think exercises are just how they are now are just like universally boring. And then some people get past them and are able to go into the fascinating, you know, whatever it is, calculus or, you know, reading about, you know, German idealism or some obscure part of philosophy. Uh, so I just don't see a, a solid bridge between drilling or the tactical and the strategic. I guess. Are you, you, what were the, what were the topics you said you cared about continuing to save or, or seek more interest? What did you say? Well, I think classic literature, like top topics, like we're just, but reading. is it the literature or is it the discipline of study? Well, the discipline of study is necessary to have the uh, like kind of stamina and micro skills to to read great right. fiction, you right. know. Because I'm trying to like I'm I'm trying to read Ulysses right now, um, and like certain books are just like at the foundation of of you know Western philosophy and Western civilization, mm-hmm. and it's like it's so it it's I don't. Because you know, like, like I want to argue that we don't need to save things that are becoming irrelevant. And, is, mm-hmm. and, and so I need you to argue why classical literature is still relevant to the people of today. Why do they need to keep learning that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, so um, I can't make this case very well, uh, although I hope to make it soon. But like there's scholars that can trace like every story or every trope that you see in modern media to, to Shakespeare and like, you know, the stories that he wrote and the dramas and tragedies that he wrote and to not, and basically like as, and so it's basically everything's derivative of something else. And typically when things are derivative, they become simpler and more low resolution which is more palatable to like a wider audience. So that's a benefit. It's not a negative thing, but then there's always a certain amount of people that want to dig deeper into ideas. And so when you trace works from, you know, one work to the next work, to the next work and all the history that's baked into why that story got written, you, you have an avenue to go deeper and it's a I think it's a psychological health issue. Um, you know, we're motive, we're, as humans, like we need to be motivated by things. And I think we're motivated by like epic stories. Um, we don't well, just We're definitely them. motivated by superheroes. So I can tell you that I've observed that very clearly in the last few years, which I'm confused by. I personally don't watch any Marvel movies. Um, I also haven't seen Star Wars, fun fact. Um, <laughs> you know, though, what I'm trying to get at is like, you know, we're going towards emojis. Aren't, isn't that the opposite of what you're talking about? Yeah, it's like the lowest resolution. So it's almost like you want to save this, right? But isn't it like you have to get people about excited about the discipline to study, not the, the literature itself? Because we have to save the disciplines that keep us human. And I'm not sure we can survive only speaking emojis, but I'm also not sure anyone cares about Ulysses specifically. And it's like, if you can defend the discipline rather than the literature, you may have a better argument or a way to see this through because I can't help but feeling like, well, as time changed, we have to let go of the old stories because there's just no choice. We just can't keep them all. I mean, I don't know what you think about these ideas. I'd love to hear what you're thinking, but it's difficult to do what you're saying. It's difficult to get people excited and interested in the modern time because our brains are changing. Just like you're saying, it's an attention issue, right? But if someone can be like, no, I must keep my discipline to study and overcome this, that's more exciting to me because they can decide what to study. It doesn't have to be the hardest texts. It can be the, the, the oldest films, it can be the oldest paintings. You know what I mean? And don't you think that is the ultimate value? Or is there something I'm not seeing about the literature? Because I'd also like to argue Shakespeare could be derivative of something else. Um, I think your goal is the same, which is to update and produce new works and refine the works that we have. No, no. my goal is that humans are the best they can be. 
the best they can be, right? And the way, and one of the ways that they can attain that yes. is to yes, is to is to refine, right? Yes, that's one way. Um, so, I guess what we also need to produce, we need to produce good works, and I th- and the the theory is that you and our you know like art is driven by the subconscious or like the unconscious mind mostly but an unconscious mind need needs to have a diet of of the classics uh possibly like it's i don't know if a blank slate can just produce genius music like you have to learn uh like a composer needs to like have a foundation in classical music most likely um mm. so yeah, it's a tough case to make for someone like me. And there's guys with, you know, there's professors with elbow pads out there that can put together this argument really mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, but people don't listen to people with elbow pads anymore. So that's why. <laughs> so that's the update that I'm kind of trying to make, you know, trying to connect the gang wars and like Tupac's and Biggie's music to Shakespearean, you know, tribal wars between the Montagues and the Capulets, things like that. And how you can go deeper and learn, learn about yourself, you know, learn about your own motivations as an individual. And it's a minority reading and kind of thinking abstractly is not, it's not for everybody, but you know, the leaders of our society should probably be um, more intellectually stimulated than they currently are. And, you know, that's sort of a political opinion now. Uh, But I think we've had, more wise leaders in the past because they were more well-read and could think more in a more nuanced way. So, um, but yeah, I certainly, I don't think I've made the case yet to you, but I, you know, that's, that's what I'm working on. It's good. It's not bad. I think that like, it's so critical that we align both our values with what's reality. I'd hate for you to spend your life missing because people cannot connect because they only know emojis not, you know, um, deep ideas, you know, but of course I desire for people to think harder, um, you know, and and more critical. I think you brought up something interesting about the leaders and their intellectual stimulation. You know, it doesn't matter who you are these days. I mean, unless you're like a multimillionaire, you have to work and you can't really spend all your time thinking critically if you, you have to work all the time. And I I suppose maybe our professors are supposed to be doing this, but like we lack this, this old school, you know, I can picture it in my head. There's like 19 philosophers on these steps and they're all sitting around. They're just discussing what's difficult and they're all open. And I don't see that anymore. And I could laugh to think that, you know, a Donald Trump and Biden could sit down and philosophize. They're not even capable of it. They've been driven only by money, which is like a construct newer than these philosophies. So it can't be our leaders anyways. And I don't blame them, these stupid politicians. They got to go fucking earn a bank, their own money. They've chosen a very unusual way to earn their money that I don't appreciate personally. And, but that's what that is. They will never be intellectual. They don't have the time. They have to self-serve their financing and such. So what do you hear in that that like we can improve on or seek? Because I would love it if philosophers online or something was a group where you could tune in and like, I want to hear what the smartest people in the world are talking about. And I don't necessarily care who they all are per se, but at least the forum is very clear. It's to discuss the difficult ideas. Yes. Yes. I mean, what I have to say about part of that is I guess I would like to see the like plumbers of the world and the electricians of the world uh, participating in the intellectual dialogue more and being respected for that more because they have such like practical and efficient knowledge of like how the world works and getting things done. Um, and I like, I somewhat work in manual labor and it's not really, it's, it's, you know, manually handling other, you know, human bodies, but there's a practicality that's missing from the academic mind and the philosopher King's mind. And I want to kind of just like find out how the warrior can also be a, be a thinker and how the thinker, because we're, we all are natural interests. I'm not trying to change everybody into one mold, but like now the thinker can have access to the, you know, 
the warrior path or the, you know, the producer's path, someone who like goes and builds things and that they've divided so much. We talk about like division and polarization so much. I think those two classes of people, simply speaking, the, the intellectual and the warrior divided so much that no one's hearing each other. And that's, that's the issue. And I think literature, um, something about classic literature is, is compelling enough for anyone to enjoy as long as they have, they build up the micro skills that are required for, you know, reading, uh, reading text. It, it allows you to sort out ideas and solve problems and, and understand your own motivations and your psychology. Um, so yeah, that's about as far as I can go with it for now, but it's, that's my hypothesis now. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I mean, I think that we've put these ideas into courses, that philosophy is a course that you take and you're done with it. That is incorrect. Let's start with that. What do you think? I suppose so. I mean, everyone needs a one-on-one course to get introduced. Yes, like, but it's uh, not to be one and done. No, no. That's just like opening your eyes and seeing that there's... But it's also putting it in a relative space as ecology 201. I don't need ecology to live my life at my highest level. It will help in some cases, but 100% I need philosophy. Oh, I see. So how can we put these things right next to each other like that? It's giving people a sort of a, oh, it's just a thing you learn. It's not my life. Logic is not my life. That's wrong. Yeah. Okay. So I see what kind of the point you're getting at. Cause the, the Western fault, if there's a fault is that we've, uh, gone too philosophically gone too much into the material and not, and we've like pretty much demolished the mystical and the, mm -hmm. the metaphysical, mm -hmm. you know, there's just a lot of people that don't want to talk about metaphysics at all. And so that, that leads to an over emphasis of you know, the natural sciences possibly and an underemphasis of, of, or like of empirical type sciences. Uh, that, but it's also the reward system of society. We're not rewarding thinking for the greater good. I don't know if that's applied anywhere. It's for profit. The best thinkers are for profit. Show me where the best thinkers have ever entered into nonprofit. I don't see it. Yeah, I think that's the state of being. Like, I don't know if it's ever not been that way. Perhaps, perhaps. But we could certainly help and say, the world has decided to put 1% to this group of people. Their only job is to live at the biodome and come up with the answers and it will all be live streamed. <laughs> yeah. Where is I mean, that? That's a... Yeah, it's an interesting... And I, I've said it before, like the philanthropists, they've let us down. I, I don't believe that it's true philanthropy. Yes, I'm sure some people have received some clean water at times. I just believe these tax havens have been used completely inappropriately by so many. Um, and and, and we, how can they not get to this idea already? And there, there's a good some good reasons for that we're not going to get into today. I want to take a short break right now to tell people, if you're listening to this podcast and you found these ideas interesting, please tweet at me at Rich and Niche. Tell me you want to hear more about the future of education and how universities should potentially be designed and how technology can be a played a part in that. That's definitely a pillar that I can revisit again. Um, but I want to start wrapping this up. Have, do you have any other questions on the list at this time? Um, no. Well, yeah, sure. Maybe I, I want to go another direction for a while. You with a, I, I was gonna, I was gonna throw a curveball at you. Okay, let's do that and let's wrap it up. And we'll continue this call you. another time because there's a lot of good stuff here. And I, I'd like you to listen and extrapolate on my technological ideas. I think I have some ideas there. And I don't think we should be so afraid to start a technology if we believe in it. If we think it changes the game, you gotta, you, you do it right by finding someone to back your idea and try and bring it to life. And I'm getting into that phase of my life. Yeah. And I know you're not just talking to me, but you're talking to the listeners, like go pursue Yes. Go build, go build things. Uh, yes, if you believe right in it. Around. So what's the stumper? What's the curveball? 
if you, so I'm going back to lead magnets more. If you were a dating coach for 30 year old men or guys in their you know, thirties, what would be the lead magnet that you would uh, offer them? Okay. So this dating coach, what is his main goal for these people? What does he kind of promise them? Give me some element of that, even if you have to make it up. So he promises guys who, who are introverted. He, so he targets introverted type guys and says like, there's, I have a method that where you don't have to become extroverted if you, you know, if you follow these steps and you can meet, you know, women and whatever. Okay. This exact place. This type. So, of does this coach meet you in person, or does it like happen on Zoom? Let's say he sell. Yeah, let's say he would meet you on Zoom. That's a good. That's a good. So he has like a kind of a consulting package. He maybe asks you about yourself. He asks you like what you struggle with. He gives you some mindset tips. He gives you some extra tips. Is that kind of like what it would be? Uh, yeah, and he has you go through like, yeah, your that like figuring out your values and. Cool, cool, cool. And and so what are the tools or platforms this coach might recommend this person to eventually start using? Tools or platforms. So like a dating app, you mean? Yeah, I don't, I I personally don't use those because I've been married for, uh, I've been together with my wife for 12 years. I've never used Tinder before. Yeah. So there, well, there is Tinder, there's Hinge, there's Bumble. Um, So he'd probably, especially in this day and age, that like there have been some, I'm, sh- I'm sure like there were dating coaches in the past that would be like, you don't need apps at all. Uh, like, I mean, in the past five years, right. but now because of COVID, I think yeah. all of them are probably embracing apps. I've heard it's gotten crazy on these apps at this time. I, I know the answer. It's two things. Okay. Um, the first one is, is how to design your Bumble account for 10 times the responses or double the responses. And you have to deliver on that. You have to, all you have to do is, figure out what's optimal by testing, um, by just being logical. It's like, don't say this about yourself. Say this. Here's an, here's an add-on to that. 13 words that will instantly increase your profile's attractiveness by 200%. I don't know what those words are. You could figure them out. What do you think about those first ideas? I like it. I like the, uh, I like the 13 words. I like the what not or the like the biggest mistake. Yes. Those are, those are pretty quick. Yeah. The how to design the perfect one. It sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> uh, it isn't. You know what it is? It's yeah. having both a male account and a female account. You sit down with a female and you say, hey, we're going to go through our accounts until we find five profiles that we feel attracted to and we love. We're going to screenshot them, hide the name, and we're going to use these as examples. Mm, you don't have smart. to design anything. You use your own ideas and belief of what's good and you sell that. And you feel confident about that because maybe you changed your own profile to mimic someone else's. And you, maybe it's just like, look at this. It's clear values in a funny way. It's a one-liner, this and that. It's adjectives. I don't know. But I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay, yeah. yeah. So if because, there's any, because they're anything. going on the apps anyways. Don't they want better results? And you could tweak it. You could say more results or higher quality partners. How, these three words will keep out the losers and attract you the potential winners for your life. Mm. But you got to figure oh. that out. And you got to kind of be, but hey, you're the dating coach. You or whoever you've hypothesized. I mean, that's just one way to do it. The other way, let me see what else I had here, is you've got to give them some taste of your coaching methodology. Maybe you give them, I don't know what this looks like, what the special methodology of going from introvert to extrovert, but it would be something that's just a taste of that. It's like the introverted dating system by dating coach XYZ. And it's just like, here are the four pillars. And then you just briefly give them on that. And then you say at the bottom, for like for me, if you want me to go over these four pillars in depth and some, and each pillar comes with, you know, two real life examples, you know, that's how you can extend that product into a paid product. Um, I, I think the first ideas were probably strong. Um, this is about getting emails. You'd then move them into an email automated flow and you'd be 
just talking about the pains of what happens when you don't have this, meaning worse results, lower results, worse people, wasting your life. Quit wasting your life with the wrong partners. That speaks pretty clear to most people. Yeah. Yeah, that does. Don't forget at the end of the day, they don't want to look stupid. Don't make them look stupid. Make them look good from this purchase. Make them look good from spending time with you. Give them ways to make them look better and um, know their deeper reptilian desire is just to be loved. I guarantee that's what they want. And maybe some people, this is, if this is about like a dating velocity volume, that might not be love. That might be admiration from other males. But for those who are using the apps to find a long-term partner, it will be a love sort of emotion. That's at the very seed of the copy. It's like the second or third email is a story from someone who's had success. And it's like, I thought I'd never be loved. Enter the email. I was wrong. I started out using this, this, and this. Then I got the dating coach XYZ's course. I fixed my profile. I watched his videos. I started practicing what he said in the mirror. I got some different clothes. I feel like a brand new person. And since then, I met my wife. Yeah, that's that's definitely hitting the reptilian brain. Yes. What's, what, what's the book you referenced on that like really outlines the, the well, uh, cash for tizing is a great copywriting book that goes over what's called the life force eight, which are like, um, good food and drink shelter, uh, to be loved and respected, things like that. Those are basically the reptilian brain cash for tizing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's for, I, I do need to read that, but that's also for the, for the it's listeners. Fun. It's probably. a fun book. Thanks man. Appreciate it. Yeah. Shall we wrap this one up today? Let's do it. Well, thanks so much, guys, for listening. Thank you, Patrick, for coming on. I hope you can do this maybe on a more regular basis. I feel like you're great at challenging me. You've got some good ideas of your own. You're in the content game. So please come back and join me on this podcast again. I'd love to, Matt. Hey, where can people find you if they want to check out the content you're creating? They can find me at my name, patrickdonabedian.com. That's kind of a tough last name to spell, but I have faith in you. And I have a YouTube channel by the same name and Instagram by the same name. Awesome. Well, I'll put it in the show notes. Guys, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating and a review. It means so much. I think we're getting pretty deep into this podcast now, maybe episode 15 or 16. Who would have thought? We're moving. We've got momentum. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. See you next time. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks. Thank you for checking out this episode, guys. I hope you liked it. Don't forget to give a rating to the podcast. Subscribe. And uh, let me know if you enjoyed this by going on to Twitter or Instagram at Rich and Niche. Connect with me there. May the algorithms be ever in your favor.